Welcome to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective Podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and in this podcast, we interview leaders and experts in critical care. And for today, we go to Australia to discuss low versus conventional tidal volume administration during intraoperative mechanical ventilation. Yep, so my name is Dashi Karalapalai. I'm an intensive care physician and an anaesthetist um, from the Austin Hospital in Melbourne, uh, Australia. Um, I'm affiliated with the Centre for Integrated Critical Care at the University of Melbourne. And more recently, I've been the lead investigator in a trial uh, where we looked at the effect of low tidal volume versus conventional tidal volume on postoperative pulmonary complications in major surgery. An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast with us, Darshi. So we'll be discussing your JAMA paper that was published in September 2020. And maybe you should go ahead and just tell us why is it so important for us to determine what the ideal tidal volume is to administer during uh, intraoperative procedures? Yeah, so look, um, when you consider that, uh, you know, it roughly 300 million surgical procedures um, provided worldwide per year, um, and that mechanical ventilation is a important component of, of many of those. Um, and when you also consider the incidence of post-operative pulmonary uh, complications may be as high as 30% after major surgery, um, we, we would consider it to be a pretty important goal to try and um, reduce those. And our interest in this basically came from the evidence from the critical care literature, which showed that um, mechanical ventilation is very likely an important contributor to um, poor outcomes in critical illness, um, more specifically now that it's come, come to this weight of evidence that suggests that um, low tidal volume is the standard of care uh, in the management of ARDS. Um, and that's been associated with a reduction in ventilator-induced uh, lung injury and uh, reduction in hospital mortality also. So pretty impressive sort of results. So. Given the strength of these results in that population, um, there's been a lot of interest in whether such an approach may actually be transferable to the surgical patient. Um, and there's been some uh, preliminary evidence which has suggested benefit, and that's where essentially um, our interest in you know, titrating the tidal volume uh, and whether that has an effect on outcome in surgery um, came about. There have been some papers uh, published showing that you know possibly a lower tidal volume of ventilation surgery may be effective, but you identified some limitations in those papers. Yeah, so look, um, our, our interest in, um, or the, the sort of the, the idea for our study actually started back in 2004, believe it or not, when um, uh, a, a large French multi-center randomized control trial was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, uh, these French investigators um, essentially um, did a study of around 400 patients um, these patients were having major abdominal surgery and they compared a bundle of ventilator strategies um, and looked at the impact on um, post-operative pulmonary complications and non-pulmonary complications. And they essentially um, uh, tested um, a treatment group of 6 mils per kilo ideal body weight uh, with the application of PEEP and scheduled recruitment manoeuvres. And they compared that to a control group uh, where they um, uh, used a tidal volume of 10, mils, 10 to 12 mils per kilo, uh, and they combined that with, with no PEEP and no recruitment manoeuvre. So a, a few different um, parameters were different between the treatment and the control group. 
their findings were remarkable in that um, they found that there was a quite significant reduction in the sort of major pulmonary and non-pulmonary complications by around about two-thirds. And when we sort of looked at the pulmonary complications also, they were reduced by about a half. So remarkable results uh, in favour of the tidal volume group. When we read the paper, it was a, it was a, um, it was a great, it was a great, very nicely done piece of work. However, we did identify some concerns with it. Uh, we were concerned about the control group uh, particularly. We thought the tidal volume was excessive um, and that the absence of PEEP um, was uh, not consistent with common practice in many regions, including ours um, and others, and that this control group may have actually been what we would consider toxic. So with this in mind, we undertook a single centre assessed blinded randomised control trial of tidal volume, of low tidal volume ventilation, where we looked at um, 6 mils per kilo versus 10 mils per kilo uh, when PEEP was applied equally uh, between the groups. So essentially we were examining the effect of an isolated change in tidal volume on postoperative pulmonary complications. Uh, our study population was um, patients who were over 40 years of age having major surgery um, with an expected duration of greater than two hours and we chose that um, just to um, show a significant exposure to our intervention. We also um, had an inclusion criteria which required that the patient would have required an arterial line um, to be inserted as part of their, of their routine care. And that was just again to try and um, uh, identify a slightly higher risk group of patients. We excluded patients who are having um, intracranial neurosurgery because of the concerns about potential issues with raised intracranial pressure. We excluded cardiac surgery patients because of the effect of cardiopulmonary bypass. We excluded thoracic surgery patients because of the need for one lung ventilation. And we are a liver transplant centre at the Austin here in Melbourne, so we did exclude those patients because of concerns about potential exacerbation of um, a patient's portopulmonary um, hypertension. We also excluded pregnant patients and patients who were to receive nitrous oxide as per the anaesthetist choice given the association with respiratory complications of the use of that agent. But the way we did is we randomised patients to receive um, a low tidal volume ventilation or a conventional tidal volume ventilation uh, with equivalent PEEP in both groups. Um, all patients were un underwent a general anaesthetic, were intubated for that case, were mechanically ventilated and paralysed for the procedure. Um, and had their specified tidal volume uh, administered uh, for, for, for the duration of the operation. During the case, we uh, took three arterial blood gases per patient, one in the early maintenance phase, one in the late maintenance phase, and one in the post-anesthetic care unit. Our outcomes were, our outcome of interest was, or should I say our primary composite outcome was essentially post-operative post pulmonary complications uh, within seven days of surgery and we also looked at uh, a number of um, secondary outcomes which were non-pulmonary in nature. We sort of figured there may be some groups of interest within our cohort um, so we compared abdominal versus non-abdominal surgery, laparoscopic abdominal surgery versus open abdominal surgery. We, we looked at the effect in obese patients versus non-obese patients 
and we looked at the effect in patients who would be deemed to be a high respiratory risk um, versus patients who would be considered low, lower risk for post-operative pulmonary complications. That's a really good overview, Darshan. I think uh, the importance of having an appropriate control group is under stress, and I'm really glad that you all decided to go for usual care for your control group rather than, um, as you said, a toxic group. So let's turn to your findings. Um, what were your findings, and how did you interpret them? Yeah, so we um, we ended up studying about 1,206 patients. Um, we achieved really good separation between the groups. So um, we compared, on average, a tidal volume of 6.3 mils per kilo in the low tidal volume ventilation group, and 9.7 mils per kilo in the um, conventional tidal volume ventilation group um, and PEEP was essentially identical in both groups at five centimetres of water. And we were sort of happy because that actually showed up in the blood gas, in the arterial blood gas analysis that we took in that the patients in the low tidal volume ventilation group had lower pHs, higher arterial CO2 readings intraoperatively and the anaesthetist administered higher respiratory rates which suggested that, that these patients had lower minute ventilations. We found that overall that the incidence of post-operative pulmonary complications in our cohort was around about 38%. Um, however, there was actually no difference in this composite post-operative pulmonary complications that we um, took as our primary outcome between the two groups. And furthermore, there was no difference in any individual component of that composite. Um, so for instance, atelectasis was identical, pneumonia was identical. We didn't find any difference in any of our secondary outcomes either. Um, some of those included things like acute kidney injury, the need for intensive care, post-operative support um, that was not planned, and um, there was no difference in hospital length of stay either. In our subgroups, um, we found no statistically significant difference in any of the subgroups I mentioned. However, there was a, a reasonably strong signal to improved outcome in the low tidal volume ventilation group in the patients that underwent laparoscopic abdominal surgery. So that was something that was, um, you know, of, of significant interest to us. So how did you explain the difference in your findings from those of patients uh, who are admitted to the intensive care unit? Um, the, the data is showing that uh, low tidal volume uh, ventilation benefits those with um, ARDS and even those with non-pulmonary issues in the ICU. Uh, it's really strong, um, whereas uh, the data that you're presenting here for your intraoperative procedures um, suggests uh, that there's no difference. So what would you attribute uh, the difference in findings to? Look, it's a, um, it's, uh, the, the patients who were admitted to the intensive care unit in our study um, was a reasonably small group, and uh, we didn't specifically analyse um, patients who were in the intensive care with regard to differences in their outcome. That may be another small sub-study we may undertake, but we didn't, we didn't analyse that in the first instance. They're, they're two clearly different patient groups uh, in the sense that um, patients who um, undergo major surgery, um, when that surgery is elective, will generally, um, in the absence of significant pulmonary disease, um, have most commonly normal lungs. Um, obviously, patients who are critically ill in the intensive care unit with, an, with a condition such as 
acute lung injury or ARDS um, are a significantly different group in that um, the, there's significant issues with lung compliance and gas transfer. Um, so it, it may be that um, the differences, the such, a, the, the such strong differences in outcomes between the critically ill and patients undergoing elective surgery may actually just lie in the fact that there's two different, they're two very different cohorts. Gotcha. And then how would you comment on the fact that, uh, I mean, the patients that received uh, um, uh, operative procedures uh, received uh, paralytics uh, used uniformly and that the duration of ventilation was on average three hours compared to that in the ICU where patients are ventilated for up to seven days? Yeah, so I think that's the other, that's the other issue with um, comparing the two in that um, patients who have major surgery, who have who are having major surgery have a much smaller, more limited exposure to um, mechanical ventilation. Um, whereas, as you say, patients who are critically ill in the intensive care unit have a um, have a you know, vent ventilator time, which is much significantly longer, uh, measured in days to sometimes weeks. So, I think the exposure to the intervention uh, or the duration of the exposure is also probably a large reason as to why we found such a difference between surgical patients and what's been shown clearly in the, um, the critically ill. So your, your major findings were uh, no significant difference in the primary composite outcome. So maybe you could um, tell us what the limitations of your study were um, uh, so that yeah, uh, so look, investigators and um, uh, clinicians are aware uh, when they practice um, in the future. Yeah, of course. So look, um, our studies was designed in a sort of a pragmatic uh, way, and it does have um, a number of limitations, which we're happy to declare. Um, obviously, this um, study was done at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne, which is a tertiary hospital um, in, um, with a diverse group of um, surgical types. Um, but it is single centre in nature. However, as I mentioned, the, the clinical, um, the clinical or the types of surgery that patients encountered in our study were diverse. There was more than 140 anaesthetists that, um, whose practice was uh, was included, and a number of sort of um, nursing staff also in the recovery room. Um, because of the nature of the intervention, blinding of these anaesthetists was was not possible. Um, however, we overcame this by um, having the staff that assessed for outcomes were blinded. Um, the other issue we sort of felt with our study was that after the patient left the theatre, the respiratory management postoperatively was not standardised. Um, however, we felt at the time of conceiving this study that at that stage there was actually no, um, you know, no um, evidence-based guidelines to, to guide that care anyway. The issue, there's probably an issue with the use of the composite um, respiratory complications also, the use of the composite. And firstly, each component, each component of the composite was equally weighted. Um, so that was potentially an issue. So, um, But that is, however, similar to uh, previous studies that have been done in this area previously. So we're, we're keen to sort of try and maintain some consistency uh, with those trials. And similarly... The severity of those postoperative pulmonary complications um, was not taken into account. So, for instance, if a patient got some atelectasis on a chest X-ray, uh, which didn't need oxygen, 
and had no significant clinical impact. Um, that was scored the same way as as a patient who developed a post-operative pneumonia and spent two weeks in the intensive care unit. So that would probably also be um, um, a significant um, uh, consideration when when assessing our, our results. Um, however, I, I will point out that again, this is this um, the way we've used this outcome was essentially identical to what they'd used in previous studies, and we'd been very keen to maintain the consistency between them to make them uh, more comparable. So let's get down to what um, the study means for the future. Um, so how does your study advance our understanding of the mechanical ventilation, um, specifically with regards to lung injury, and how should uh, clinicians uh, practice in the future in terms of ventilator management? Yeah, so look, when it comes to the use of mechanical ventilation during major surgery, I think our study clearly shows that um, uh, a low tidal volume ventilation strategy um, of 6 mils per kilo is equally safe um, to a um, conventional tidal volume strategy of 10 mils per kilo uh, when PEEP was applied um, in combination uh, in both groups. Um, we found uh, no benefit of um, 6 mils per kilo when it was applied in isolation. Um, and this is um, this suggests that the extraordinary findings of the French study um, is due to a factor which is not the tidal volume. Um, and um, I think we've clearly shown that. Um, interesting also as well, I think when we um, designed our uh, control group, we did a multi-centre audit of um, practice in Victoria which is our local state um, where Melbourne is. And we found that um, uh, Anesis was still essentially using a 10 mil per kilo um, tidal volume during, major, during, during one ventilator during surgery. And that is very similar to a traditional um, approach, which essentially dates back to 1963, where people were encouraged to use a higher tidal volume um, to reduce hypoxia and atelectasis. However, I think we've clearly shown that um, there's no benefit of that strategy either and that both are equivalent. And given that um, a 6 mils per kilo tidal volume is what we would consider physiological um, in people as they're walking around in the street, um, we can't see a real reason as to why you would want to provide a super physiological tidal volume either. So I still feel that whilst the range of 6 to 10 mils per kilo is safe, in the first instance, or, or the default should most likely still be six mils per kilo ideal body weight when when designating a tidal volume during major surgery. So this study was designed, as I would assume, a superiority trial. Um, would we need a uh, inferiority trial design to say that the um, therapies are equivalent or uh, non-inferior? I guess um, we we uh, our trial has essentially shown that an isolated difference in tidal volume between 6 mils per kilo and 10 mils per kilo. Um, there, was no, there was no hint of a signal to benefit um, of either group. Um, so we sort of, we, we do feel that we've answered the question quite clearly that um, an isolated difference in tidal volume within that range 
does not affect the outcome. And I don't necessarily think that would need to be uh, repeated. Um, and then in terms of future studies that you think need to be done in the field of uh, intraoperative uh, procedures regarding uh, tidal volume um, or ventilator strategies such as PEEP or group what would you advise clinicians to start thinking of? Look, uh, m my feeling is um, that, as I mentioned earlier on, there was a, there was a signal um, of benefit of low tidal volume ventilation um, in patients undergoing major laparoscopic abdominal surgery. So um, that may be an area um, of focus for future research um, to see if that um, in a larger cohort of patients um, and an isolated group of patients undergoing laparoscopic surgery, whether that benefit uh, will become significant. We just wondered if the um, presence of uh, a large number of open abdominal surgery may have just um, may have uh, polluted the results in that laparoscopic um, in our in our trial, and that perhaps um, in the open group, when um, when you consider the other factors such as pain, postoperative pain, that may actually negate the intraoperative effect of the low tidal volume ventilation on respiratory complications. So. Um, sorry, to be more succinct, I think um, the laparoscopic abdominal surgery group would be one of significant interest for further research. Gotcha. So, um, Dasha, I do want to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, uh, we're currently in September here, which is, uh, I think, the end of your winter season down there in the Southern Hemisphere. I was wondering if you just give us uh, some insights that you've had from um, uh, this COVID uh, pandemic and flu pandemic and uh, how that has affected your practice uh, as an anesthesiologist, uh, either taking care of patients in the operating room or, um, and I know sometimes in the Southern Hemisphere, the anesthesiologists uh, also take uh, care of the ICU patients. Yeah, so look, um, we, um, in terms of COVID in in Melbourne, um, look, we have been one of the, um, one of the harder hit um, areas of Australia. However, um, our numbers have um, have not been that excessive, and we've been lucky in that the hospitals um, have not been overwhelmed. And I think um, intensive care units have managed to um, cope with the um, with the numbers that we've um, been delivered. So one of the strategies has actually been that um, uh, because of the what's happened in the northern hemisphere, we've all been concerned about. Um, uh, resource allocation. So one of the things the government did or the Department of Health did here in uh, in Australia was to uh, immediately uh, reduce significantly the amount of elective uh, surgery that um, was being undertaken such that only what we call Category 1 or Category 2 or urgent um, cases were allowed to, to occur. Um, so that has sort of allowed our workload to be um, controlled. Um, in the intensive care unit, again, we have um, felt the stress of what may be coming, but we've managed to um, keep it within the capacity of what we have. Um, we prepared um, quite extensively given 
um, some of the reports from our colleagues in the Northern Hemisphere, both in Europe and the United States. So we felt that we were uh, quite well prepared. And um, similarly, the government has managed to um, be, quite, be quite aggressive in, in trying to control the, um, the numbers here. So we actually have done reasonably well to this point. That's great to hear and wish you um, all the best uh, in the coming months uh, in treating those patients and caring for yourselves. Um, Dashi, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, and I just want to give you the opportunity um, for any concluding remarks um, or any statements that you feel that our um, ATS audience uh, would benefit from. Um, look, I guess, um, look, just uh, on behalf of myself and, and my co-authors, we are, we're, we're so grateful that um, that uh, the ATS has shown an interest in, in our work and and um, similarly for um, us down here in Melbourne, Australia to um, to have a study um, accepted in, into such a highly regarded journal like JAMA, we're just so thrilled and... Um, and um, it was a great um, collaboration between um, the departments of anaesthesia and intensive care in our hospital. Um, and we're glad that we've actually made, managed to produce some work that people have, um, have clearly shown been interested in. I think kudos to you and your team for choosing a topic that uh, was of clinical relevance. And for designing a style so um, uh, well and executing it uh, so expertly. For our audience, um, today we discussed uh, the JAMA article published in September 2020 uh, entitled Effect of Intraoperative Low Tidal Volume Versus Conventional Tidal Volume on Postoperative Pulmonary Complications in Patients, an RCT. Um, congratulations, Darshi, and uh, uh, all the best to you and your team. Yeah, thanks again for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. A big thank you to Dr. Dashi Karapale, and a big thank you to all of you for listening to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective podcast. I'm Dominic Pepper for the American Thoracic Society.